Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scaries. you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. Damn yeah, I don't know I'm if... Okay, hi, Cece. I don't know if you were here for... Yeah, you didn't come to like the Christmas party last year or anything, did you? I guess. No, I couldn't make it. Oh, but fine. I did run into Travis in a Spider-Man suit at a bar saying he was waiting for <laughs> oh, yeah. you, I think. <laughs> I yeah. He was yeah. kind of tipsy. No way home. Oh, yeah. I had to dress up for uh, Spider-Man no Which way I home. was like, if this is how Travis dresses up for his brother. I can't wait to meet his brother, but um, I didn't, we didn't. Sunday scaries. Uh, just to test, we test test some stuff out, and, like make sure we get this format down. What um, what were you? How old were you when you started watching like horror movies? So the one that I can vividly remember having <laughs> viewed too young was the American version of The Grudge of Juan. Okay, and that I that had to have come out in like maybe like oh four. I want to say like oh four oh five around that time, and so I was like seven eight years old and uh and yeah no i i like vividly remember watching it at like the den at our like childhood home and and like knowing in the moment that i was i had just been like scarred (laughs) 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 and like i don't know if mom necessarily remembers this but i like the the following like two weeks of of going to bed was just like a nightmare because I like couldn't turn any lights off and I couldn't close my door. And so like, I, I think we had separate bedrooms by this time, but yeah, it was just, it was an ordeal. <laughs> I remember watching. Yeah. I was going to ask. Uh, so I just wrote down some movies and I want to see how, how close I get. What are your top five horror movies? Oh, here we go. And I'm going to test myself <laughs> and see, see oh, if God. I got any of them. Uh, I know it's a no, kinda, just say what you like. Yeah, kind of overthink it. Whatever comes to your brain first, and I, I just want to see if I got any of them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would have to throw in, and I, it's tough to like really give like a proper ranking. But yeah, I'll, I'll just throw like five out that definitely stick with me. But like Friday the Thirteenth is probably going to be in there, um, just because like I don't know for some reason I had this like fixation with the character of Jason Voorhees when when I was like younger. And I was like Jason Voorhees for Halloween, like five years running. Um, and then one of my best friends was like Freddy Krueger. So that was that was the whole thing. Um, I guess like recent horror as well. I'll I'll put I'll put Hereditary in there just as like a as like a piece of work. Like I, I definitely oh, yeah. I can't not appreciate it. And then particularly with, you know, uh, talking about like Colin Stetson today. I was going to say, yeah. That was that was definitely a shift uh, for him. Um, the witch, yeah, I'll I'll put the witch in there. That was one. That was one too, where I remember like moving through like a transitional period from like you know just like appreciating movies in like a in like a purely um, like as an art uh, form, like yeah, well, like as a from a as a viewer to like an to like a you know an artist or like a practicing or. Um, you know, uh, aspiring artist, I guess. Cause that, which came out like, I don't know, I was about to graduate high school, I think. Um, and so like moving into being a musician more fully, um, it follows God, that one, like, was that on there? Did you get it? Yeah. yeah you got one. <laughs> I got one. It's he's one, out <laughs> one of for four. four. Yeah. That's okay. It follows. Yeah. Th- that was another one too, where, um, 
I remember going into the theaters uh, or the theater with with a bunch of friends and um, having having like convinced them to see this movie because I was like, I hear it's really good. I hear it's like really um, kind of just it, it's like out there, but it's scary. And they were like, OK. And we all walked out just like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and a disaster for... piece score, too, for It Follows. Fucking rips, man. The whole thing, man. It's just it, that is such a vibe. <laughs> we we talked about this. We were texting about this like a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, that whole movie just has such a vibe. That's uh, it's 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 really unique. I mean, there, I really don't know that there have been a ton of things like it um, that have come out. And uh, I don't know, like that that fifth slot, man. I, I I might have to go with something like classic. I know, like you're a huge Shining fan. Oh yeah. And I've I've never been like the the biggest like Stanley Kubrick person, but <sighs> I don't know. There's got to be some huge one that I'm just like totally forgetting. I want to. It's hard when you're on the list. spot, you, isn't you it? You can simmer on it. What did you? Yeah. I put. Uh, I was just kind of pull, trying to pull some out of my ass. I put Midsummer, The Conjuring, Parasite, Signs, and It Follows. I mean, Midsummer is not too far off the mark from like Hereditary. I, right? I forgot how much. I yeah. couldn't remember how much you liked Midsummer when we saw it. We saw that together, didn't we? I think we did. No, I really did like Midsummer. I just like. I, I wouldn't call it like peak horror. And then yeah. like with that list to, um, I don't know that I, like, I don't even know that parasites horror. Like I wouldn't call parasites horror. I would, I would hardly call the menu horror. In fact, yeah. like, when, yeah. when I brought, I, I saw it with a, with another person in my cohort. And I, I remember, you know, she was like, she's like, what is this movie? And I'm like, it's like a thriller, like black comedy thing. I think I'm not sure. Um, that's accurate. Yeah, and I mean, I certainly like Midsummer, and I really appreciate you know Parasite, but um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to it's, think on that. We had this conversation uh, previously. We were recording earlier today about like what uh, what justification we have for calling some movies horror, yeah. or talking about them here. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it more because I have some reasons that I think uh, I'd like to explain for about the menu why I think it'd be called horror um yeah hey it's sunday scaries it's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take a deep dive into a specific film and try to make connections between that movie and other movies within the genre i'm travis i'm hanging out with daniel and on the phone today we have cc say hi cc hello (laughs) (laughs) Uh, cc christopher craig is my little brother who is uh, currently living up in seattle uh he's working on a a graduate program for film composite or for composition um focusing specifically on film uh i've known him for a long time since he was a a little nugget uh and uh he's uh he's an he's an amazing musician a fantastic composer and a really smart film goer brag wow brag on your brother (laughs) i'm a middle child and i don't get this i'm like what's the what's the what's happening here um yeah so this week uh we decided to tackle a new movie that we've been hotly anticipating for months now that just came out uh over the kind of holiday weekends previously what did we watch guys the menu. the menu. Oh my god, we did it! He's not just a chef, he's a storyteller. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is gonna be. You won't know till the end. Who are you? I am Margo. Why do you care? I have to know if you're with us or with them. There was no way you were going to get that synced up. Oh, no. Yeah, with the delay here. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll fix it in post. But yeah, the, mar- uh, the menu, Mark Milan. We have, we have software. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, directed by Mark Mylod, uh, starring uh, Ray Fiennes, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, uh, John Leguizamo, a whole cast of characters. Uh, this is a, I don't know, I, I we were talking in the kitchen earlier, I think this might be one of the best movies I've seen this year. I Definitely one of the most interesting movies I've seen, like most imaginative movies I've personally seen this year. Yeah, no, I had a blast with it. It definitely falls in the category. So Adam McKay is a producer on this one. Um, and it kind of falls in that same category as uh, Don't Look Up um, or uh, The Big Short as far as, like like you, like you said, uh, dark black humor um, combined with just like a searing wit in editing and, and fantastic sort of... Uh, it's a lot of chef's table jokes. Yeah, it's it's a complete uh, the way they just they completely skewer the uh, the the phenomenon of like food <laughs> orgasms through chef table. And I call everything. it haute cuisine. Yeah, um, even from yeah from the presentation of like you know the title cards and the recipes, um, the entire aesthetic uh, all the way down to are you, the uh, score. CC, by... are you a chef's table person by any chance? Are you like a do you get into food documentaries? You know, I'm I'm like a novice level food doc enjoyer. Like Chef's okay. Table was not the one that I like went for. Like salt, fat, acid, heat, I think is like what most oh, yeah. people kind of start with. Um, which I have seen three out of the four episodes. So I guess wow. that's salt, fat, and acid. So I guess you don't know um, how to cook then. <laughs> I, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm a I'm fully just like a like a crock pot and rice cooker kind of guy. Um, but uh, <laughs> fucking hamburgers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shredded chicken every day of the week yeah um, yeah no i mean i i have no i i've seen a few there's just so many i mean talk about just right like media saturation in general i feel like the the number of of cooking shows and then competitive cooking shows like as an aside yeah. are just it's it's insane particularly on netflix right especially like when you think about uh uh, the show, like, obviously the jokes land, right? Even if you're not familiar. But oh, I'm yeah. always curious, like, how much of not knowing some of the source material, like, distances you from some of the jokes. But I felt like every single beat landed, whether yeah. you knew what you were watching or not. Like, I've never seen a single episode of Chef's Table. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have this real... Okay, so I'll have to say I have this really bad problem. All my friends have recommended it to me. <laughs> and I'm, like, a, I'm a bit of a contrarian on watching habits. Um, and because they're, like, there's nothing better. Like, go watch Chef's Table. Like, it's, like, God's here. It's, it's all about the passion of cooking. And look at all these crazy foods they make. It's, like, so interesting. And I'm, like, yeah, I'm not doing that. It's become, yeah, it's become a joke at this point where now it's been satirized, right? But I there is something actively about... actively resisted watching any, yeah. kind of the, any of those kinds of shows if I can. There is something about the way, like, the whole thing that Chef's, Tables did, uh, Chef's Table did that kind of, I think, introduced the Netflix audience to, um, like, the, the spectacle of, like, high cuisine and the artistry that goes into it. They did a good job of focusing on particular, like, the narrative of a particular chef and then infusing the the idea of their food with, like, the story of their, like, livelihood and behind it and everything. It's, which, it's like, really sad. I have nothing against the actual yeah. show, Chef's Table, but I, like, enough people in my life have been like, oh, you haven't seen Chef's Table? Like, you gotta go watch that right now. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I have a million things I need to go watch. It's become a joke at this point. Like, a yeah. lot of things. Like, the whole elevated horror thing that we've been talking right, about in this right, series right. too right and haute cuisine itself <clears throat> is like such an easy target for yeah. comedy and and se- like searing satire and we're at this for bar for if you'll permit the pun yeah we're <laughs> we're at this place now too where you have tv shows like uh the bear coming out and it's yeah. kind of this idea of we have this 
this popular image that came out of the phenomenon of like the high cuisine sort of uh, media. And then because of that, you have shows that have a lot of uh, emotional sort of gravity to them, like inherently like the bear where you as a, as a, as an audience member and being in, in the realm of seeing things like chef's table and other like high cuisine sort of shows being put on, you understand, we implicitly understand the stakes of somebody who participates in this world. Right. And then so seeing a very, like emotional narrative in the context of that world is works really well, like for right. a show like the bear. Um, and then you have movies like this where, uh, the premise of this movie essentially is that a, a small cast of characters, um, who are all sort of members of the, uh, the top 1%, um, of, of elites go, uh, to this remote Island where a, um, a, a, a several course meal is being prepared by a fame, a world renowned chef. Um, the, the tables are $1,250 a head. You go and sit down and he, he provides an entire experience on this isolated sort of Island. Um, and what, ensues is that we quickly learn that the uh the chef has uh has grand designs for this meal that uh turn out to be this menu has a lot evil. less eating involved than yeah. you think <laughs> you will eat less than you desire and more than you deserve yes is the quote that gets thrown in there that i fucking love um and the music for this movie is amazing too so we, you dropped the name uh colin stetson earlier who is the uh, composer for the soundtrack um he is also the composer who did the music for hereditary uh and in the vein of talking about chef's table and uh, the many sort of um, visual and cinematic tropes that came out of that, the string score for this right up top, the introductory theme, it fucking, it, it, it hits that chef's table thing hard with those crazy violins coming in uh, super duper fast. Um, did that, did the score, were you listening for the score in this when you went to go see it, I guess last week? Yeah. So interestingly enough, the score was kind of the only thing, that I had any sort of, um, like, I guess, like, expository knowledge of because I had talked to you and you were like, yeah, Colin Stetson. And I was like, oh, you know, I I've know the name. I've seen Hereditary, but I'm not terribly familiar with his work. So I did a little research. I, like, read an interview and talking about, you know, the the satirizing of that kind of, like, that that cooking show medium you know like that that fully extends into like his approach to this score particularly right and that's that's evident um like you're saying as well just having even not seen chef's table in particular but having seen a number of you know like not necessarily knockoffs but like uh similar bits of programming where the aesthetic is very much the same like it's it's this like kind of austere string sound that's kind of just you know it's almost it's it's almost devoid of any sort of like grandiosity it really is just sort of like like neoclassical like baroque And uh, and so with Colin's approach to this score, I mean, that was very much the intention, right? Particularly in like that first act is it's really all about just trying to trying to get a foot in the door with the audience and and show you something, make you listen to something that's that's it's idiomatic, right? It's it's familiar and it, it makes sense and it's not overbearing and everybody feels kind of comfortable. Thank you. 
come into this kind of like, you know, very, um, very, very highbrow elite environment. And like, what do you get with that? Well, you get this like this string orchestra that like sounds, you know, like, I don't know, it's it's noble and it's not overbearing. Um, and so, I mean, I was I was rocking with it for sure in the beginning there. Yeah, because I think that is the thing at the beginning is in order to set up the premise of the movie, it does a good job. Uh, Mark Milo does a great job of sort of introducing all the themes that we're familiar with in this world, right? Um, they get on the boat and they're immediately served like their uh, their appetizer oyster on the boat. Uh, and everybody is sort of with, with all of the, the fanfare and service that comes with that. Uh, Nicholas Holt's character is just fucking killing it in this movie, dude. Like his performance, I think. Like obviously, Anya Taylor Joy and Ray Fiennes are are amazing in this movie, but Nicholas Holt, I think, is that unsung hero of this of all of these uh, these scenes here, where him just leaning into that being the most insufferable fanboy asshole as he like that first scene where he like slaps away Anya Taylor Joy's hand as she's about to like eat her oyster yeah. or whatever. I was like, God damn taking it, he's fucking amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's constantly taking pictures with his phone, trying to like to I document everything. Uh, Chef, is that bergamot I taste? <laughs> And just the even even at that by that point in the movie, Ray Fiennes is over it too. Uh, but Nicholas and he Nicholas Holt will get his comeuppance uh, from Ray Fiennes later. Um, yeah, they as the 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 movie is introduced, we kind of get introduced to each of the the, the small groups individually, right? Um, we have the Nicholas Holt character and Anya Taylor Joy, who are sort of this. Uh, they're introduced as like this newer couple. They're basically it seems like they're on maybe their first date. Um, he brings her along to this incredibly pretentious highbrow meal. Um, we also have the John Leguizamo uh, character with his assistant. John Leguizamo is basically playing a almost like a like a fictionalized version of version of himself or like another actor who's sort of in the twilight of his Apparently, career. Apparently, he based that off of Steven Seagal. Oh, that's right. I saw together. that interview. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, we have uh, an elderly couple who just seem like they're you know. One percenters, yeah, and they just they. We find out later that they're regulars of this this incredibly <laughs> expensive restaurant. Can you imagine two like twenty five hundred dollars in a single night, maybe twice a month? Seriously, that's my entire rent, but like that's my entire rent budget and then some. Seriously, fuck. Um, we also have uh, a trio of tech bros who seem really like finance bros, right? Um, who basically are just kind of going to like to check the box of off their experience of, uh, uh, of having gone to this incredibly exclusive restaurant. Um, we have the, uh, film critic and her editor, uh, food critic, food critic, food sorry, critic. the food critic and her editor, uh, who is kind of like worshiping her, uh, the entire time. They're he's a there. sycophant. Yeah. He's definitely a, a, an enabler, uh, oh, is the way he puts it later. Oh. Uh, I think that's everybody, right? Uh, aside yeah. from, uh, the mother character who we'll talk about. Like, right. In, right. In a little bit. Um, one thing that I think this movie does really well too, uh, like we said about getting you into the world with the familiar tropes of things like chef's table. Um, it, it's, it's very aware of itself, but doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, and it introduces everything. Like it, it gets going pretty quickly with like the dishes, right? Um, that first title card that pops up with their, uh, their first meal. Um, every time a new dish is, in- is introduced, they put the, uh, the title card of the dish with like the ingredients and stuff as if it's like an episode of chef's table right. or something. Um, and it rips along pretty fast. I think someone tried to comment that like it takes too long for any sort of, uh, sinister action to happen but i kind of argue that like those first couple of courses kind of fly by before we and then we kind of get our first example of uh of something sinister about right um it's that uh with the bread dish the (laughs) 
the breadless bread plate. Yeah. Which he, they make a point to say that their bread is infamous. The world is like this is the reason you come to our restaurant. Yeah, and we're not going to serve it to you. Yeah, um, they get a little yeah. title card of the bread that you were not going to eat was made with like locally sourced grains and uh, baked in house by you know with our our very like uniquely cultured yeasts and stuff. Um, and this whole introduction, we mentioned Midsummer earlier. Did you think at one point, like we get introduced to the the meat locker, right? Um, I definitely thought that was going to come back into play later. Midsummer vibes. Yeah, I thought that there was something about that they were going to like. It was. I was expecting cannibalism to come in at any point in this movie. Yeah, that's actually so a question I. I would pitch to you. Is like how much? What like what were you thinking? How much of this movie would be horror when you walked into it, and how much of it was just going to be like satire? Yeah. So. I think given the the current trend with like the psychological horror flicks that have come out in like the last several years, right. Kind of starting with hereditary and then, you know, moving towards like the lighthouse and parasite, like, you know, all these things that kind of, I think Travis, you use like the term like elevated horror that like just give a different kind of like a less, um, like a less slasher based approach, if that makes sense, like a less gore centric um, presentation. I personally, like, I knew that there would be horror elements to it. I knew since you were talking about it on the podcast that this was something that, you know, isn't quite what it seems, but I didn't really have many expectations. And I'd say, I'd argue, because, like, the film itself is only, like, I don't know, like, 100 minutes long, if that. It's pretty tight. You know, so it is pretty tight. So, like, yeah, that, that argument that, like, all right, it takes too long for things to get going. It's like, yeah, but, like, they're already on a deserted island. There's this, like you know, reclusive uh, chef figure, you know, who's just sort of looming that we don't see. Um, you know, the <laughs> all of the guests are, are like, known to the staff. I really appreciated that, how, like, each person was addressed by name. And then yeah. the details It's almost like lives. they're, like, introducing them as, like, clue characters. Yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, who's going to be the murdered? And Very clue be the murderer? Yeah. 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 Yeah, there was a lot that kind of pointed to, you know, the the forthcoming sinister acts right um and something i appreciate when it comes to to music particularly is is restraint you know and it's restraint and also like just doing something that is unique or or unconventional you know and that's where actually i think this becomes one of colin stenson's best scores is the fact that like he has the conventional approach in the beginning but then it kind of it really sort of it it not necessarily devolves, but it evolves, you know, throughout the whole second and third act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost. Yeah, especially as things start to go off the rails with uh, with the meal uh, and with the menu, uh, it seems like there's um, yeah a divergence from from the the chef's table sort of like iconic string score. Um, so the first the mousse bouche right is the scallop that they get. It's served on a fucking rock, which is. In, infuriating right right um there's like a whole side conversation of critics being like so many food critics being like stop serving us rocks like stop serving f- we want uh, plates yeah our reddit are <laughs> we want plates yeah if anyone anyone listening wants like the most fun critique of like ridiculous restaurant ideas we want place is just a list of restaurants that serve you your food on anything but a plate <laughs> Like they'll have like uh, my favorite example was chicken tenders held by clothespins on a oh drawstring, and then so they're like dangling over sauce buckets. They're like, just give us a goddamn plate. 
and then yeah, the the bread dish that comes right after that. I think that's the first time. So the critic is like looking at it right, <laughs> and she's like, they make a comment about like the oil being separated in one of the uh, little the emulsion sauces. broke. Yeah, the emulsion broke, and they're like, oh, you definitely don't want to see that on the uh, at a restaurant like this. Right. Uh, and you see, Ray finds like overhears it, and then for the next like over the course of the next couple of dishes, <laughs> right? They keep bringing her. They bring her a whole bowl of the separated but emulsion. It's like a tub, and they bring her like a fucking yeah, like a four liter like camera thing of it. Of just broken. Oh, Oh you can um, see like the whole time Ray finds character. You can see like he's like per- one of those chefs. He's like perfectly tight. Just mm-hmm. Doesn't keeps it all together. But every time, because they can all you you know they can hear everybody talking in yeah. that room. You can just see like his eyeball twitch. Like the vein in his forehead gets a little bit bigger every time someone acts like an idiot. There, this is, yeah, Ray finds perform- performance in this movie for one thing. Like it is obviously it's like the centerpiece of the entire movie. Like the entire movie relies on it, it's it's constantly like if you're in that room and then as an audience member you feel like you're in this room where it's almost like having like a uh, like being in a, in a in a room with like an abusive person right or like an abusive relationship where like you're just waiting for that one like hair trigger thing like he's wound up so tight that you know that like when things start to go wrong that he's just gonna go fucking off the rails as well but his the the way he emotes through his eyes though as he's like when he's confronting Anya Taylor Joy or explaining particular aspects like the emotional importance. He of seems the dishes, so wounded. He's so yeah. He's glass. He's like glossy eyed constantly. Like he's gonna right? cry at any at given any, second. Yeah, or that like he's so disappointed in like the people around him and to be like around those people. It's uh, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's really good. They make it through the bread dish and I think is the um, is it Taco Tuesday after that. Uh, is that what time it is? I don't remember all the dishes. But they, yeah, I don't remember all the dishes. They still, he, he's, he's very much like his, uh, his demeanor doesn't shift until after Taco Tuesday. Remember, because you, right. you get to the tacos and he's like, who doesn't love Taco Tuesday? Like, it's still like lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> the act that he puts on. Um, the one thing I want to introduce that I think really gets overlooked and that I think is probably one of the more horrific elements of the movie is the involvement. So, all of, the, all of the cast is sat in this one dining room, and the kitchen is uh, right next to it. It's one, you know, it's like a completely viewable kitchen, open kitchen where everybody can see what's happening. Um, and in the corner is sat this one singular woman, and we learn because of what we, we learn later is that uh, the Ray Fiennes chef refuses to sit, you know, solo seats. He only accepts at least two people. Um, but the solo woman turns out to be during the Taco Tuesday conversation. He introduces uh, his mother, right, um, who is just there at the, in the back corner pounding glasses She's of wine, smashing She's very expensive wine, fucking hammered throughout the entire meal. And something that I think, as I've been reading reviews of this, that I think gets overlooked is the fact, like that character in this interaction, particularly like the Taco Tuesday thing. Um, Ray finds as he builds out his backstory, which may or not be true. I don't know. He seems to be telling different like childhood memories, right? Um, he introduces his mother and like there's a sense of like her being guilty for his like upbringing as well even though she was also a victim of their uh, of her abusive husband his abusive father um but the idea that like he put her in that room and that she probably also knows that everybody's going to die at the end of the meal and he just forces her to sit there through the entire meal is why she's getting blitzed yeah and i think that's one of the things like there's almost a level of um there's like this like familial horror thing that like almost that harkens back to like texas chainsaw massacre for me even where it's this like really macabre sort of they confrontation with death that like as just an inevitable thing that they're accepting right um or that she is like a prisoner who is now a victim of her 
mani- like her insane son's you know last act of of violence and suicide or whatever because um, they kind of like they brush on her but I think it's easy to ignore her as the movie carries on because you're so focused on like all of the other characters um, as the meal is served we kind of get our introduction to it, more of our introduction to each of the individual tables um, and sort of the reasons why each of them are sort of assholes, right? Why, you know, the chef may have a problem with them. Uh, the tech bros are the first ones to speak up about the bread plate. They were like, all right, this is really funny. The gimmick is really cute, but like, give us some fucking bread. And that's when uh, Elsa, the she's kind of like the maitre d', I guess, right? Yeah. She's the she's in charge yeah. of just like handling the guests. That's when she like leans down and whispers into his ear. And it's fucking chilling. Like, you, you will eat less than you desire and more than you deserve. And it's that, but it, it's so funny too because she gets to she's the person that gets to say no, yeah. Um, because like this is a restaurant that is so special that you you just do what they say. You don't get to complain. You do what they say. They'll have created like by the end of the night, you'll have had the most intense dining experience ever. But there's like multiple instances where they like complain to her because mm-hmm. they feel entitled to regular food, yeah. And she gets to say no, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like every yep. you can hear the service people in the room just like. I, 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 this like, movie is pure catharsis. It's like Twitter, yeah. just a little bit. Like, yeah. oh, finally, <laughs> someone did it. It is. There's something. I texted s- like, I texted like three or four people right after this this movie and walking out and thinking like, I mean, you got to go see this. Like, it's just such a. Oh my god. It it is cathartic is the right word. It's like people needed this. We yeah. needed to see them say no to the patrons. It's yeah, it's it's thrillingly cathartic in the way like she like tells them no. And then also like there is this this element of like social contract, right? Where, you know, you're expected to behave a certain way in public and then especially with like the class divides between people and in a restaurant setting too. There's this element of a social contract that none of the people, none of the guests are willing to break. Um even as they start complaining or even as things start getting like real fucking like actual murdery actual murder happens none of them like change tables or anything none of them like they some some of them start to try to get up but even when that guy like gets up to try to throw a chair through the window and like it just bounces off and then he's like oh and then she picks the chair back up she's like let me help you help you back to your seat and he goes and sits back down yeah there's something about it where they are all being guarded as the meal goes on like more muscle shows up and they're like other members of the the cooking staff but they're serving as like guards right for the door. well that's kind of the the fun thing um about it Uh-oh. is uh, specifically that like you pay for a meal but that like people don't like you should get what you pay for you as a customer have yeah. more power um so it's kind of like really hilarious is that the the customers feel entitled to service because they paid for it when it's like this is a restaurant so good that no you they're entitled to give you food is like yeah. the opposite um Sunday scaries. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm curious, Cece. Like, what was just what was your favorite moment of the uh, uh, like favorite dish? Is what I'll ask. Oh man. So there was, you know, obviously the shift. The first shift occurs with uh, the mess, right? That's when. <laughs> um, oh my yeah. god. That's when the with guy Tyler's like guy shit show or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. No. Yeah. And oh my gosh. So like that. We we were kind of touching on this just a minute ago, but like something that. You know, one of the bigger parallels, I think, artistically with, you know, between between food and between, you know, music or, you know, whatever uh, artistic endeavor you want, really. It's just like the the level of sacrifice, particularly for like all of those, all of like the, the young people, like everybody who's kind of 
just like you know breaching from adolescence into adulthood and like you know you look in the kitchen and obviously like ray finds is like the older storied grizzled chef but like everybody else in the kitchen is like late 20s early 30s you know like very very still like youthful young people um and so like when rafe uh, ray finds is giving the whole speech about you know <laughs> about tyler having like sacrificed so much having dedicated himself to the art and then like will you ever be me and tyler and he's just like fucking he's like no <laughs> you know it's just like and they, they ask him like do like, you want to be me and he's like i know i can't I but can't he says specifically this. he's like do you want my life right uh yeah. he's like talking about how like do you want he's basically asking do you want the success or do you want to live the way that i do um and the idea is that jeremy it's jeremy right is the yeah, name of the character right Jer- yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. he's the sous chef who has worked all this time to try to become um what ray finds is but like at the end of the day he like he realizes that he will never be that. And so they set up as he's like talking and everything they set out that tarp right and they like cover up the back of the uh uh the back of the the restaurant with like another tarp and everything's like, uh, you, you know, something horrible is about to happen. And, uh, they finally like show the, do they show the title card first or no, they like, no, cause it, it, the joke is it, it comes on at the end and they add the bit about Tyler. So he's like, um, so basically he's like explaining, you know, they're interrogating him and they're the whole time this is happening. We as an audience are watching really like, what the fuck is going on. But you get an idea that something really bad is going to happen because they're laying out tarps. And of course, yeah. they hand him they hand him a pistol. Right. And then they're yes. like, oh, yeah, Tyler's going to demonstrate to us how he feels about this. And <laughs> it happens quickly. <laughs> he like grabs a pistol and shoots himself in the head. To everyone's surprise. And God damn it. Uh, to the staging of it, too, is like absolutely insane. Um, they talk about like he he stages it so that the blood splatters against um <laughs> against the tarp and doesn't hit the guests at all and he falls artfully across the like a uh, like white apron that they've laid across the ground. It's like near comical. It's kind of beautiful. And honestly. then it, and then it, they bring in the dish, the actual food that is being served, and it of course cuts to like chef's table version uh, title card, and then the, they like has all the ingredients, but at the very end you can read like. R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. R. Jeremy. Yeah, R.I.P. Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, which is like yeah, exactly. just such oh, a so such a McKay dark. like hilarious but fucked up thing to do. Oh my god. Um, and so that's like that. But you know, the whole point is it's tension because you see mm-hmm. it happening and building, and you're like, oh fuck, somebody's gonna die. Like something's gonna go wrong. Yep. But I think I want to point this out too. Is I think we noticed Jeremy earlier. Because the Jeremy's like cooking a sauce, mm. um, and oh, he's it. the one who has like the separated emulsion. Yeah, right? he's yeah. the one who broke the emulsion. <laughs> and that's, so, because that's what I initially thought too. I thought he was being killed because he fucked up. But I, I guess the idea is like it was in place all along. Like that was going to happen no matter what. Right. No, but I, the, the thing too that I that I thought was funny immediately yeah. following that is the the critic character who is like, no, 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 this is theater. This yeah, is what he does like well, it's fine. Like they're still. <laughs> it's so clever to me because it it kind of like justifies why they would even stay in the room. Um, it's like yeah. that classic horror trope of you're like you're the audience and you're screaming like get the fuck out of there, um, but right, she's like no, 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 it's all theater. Like this is just like this is all theatrical and so it kind of makes it easier for them as an audience to or for the patrons to like stay but my favorite part about all this is fucking nicholas holt is the entire time watching this and he like doesn't notice or care he's like "Mm, yes this looks delicious i actually love the statement being made it's like fantastically well and he 
I think he's he's too like you know we find out later he he's mentally prepared I think for just about everything that happens throughout the evening because he's he's got the you know he's in cahoots like right like yeah. Ray Fines has told him Chef has told him you know ahead of time I think multiple times he even said like he's like you read the email I mean, you knew everybody was gonna die like because that is the reveal later be... yeah is that Tyler yeah. has been essentially like he contacted the chef to try to request this table and he was told far in advance months in advance that everybody was gonna die in spite of that he still chose to come and eat uh just to experience <laughs> everything because that's the thing is like the bizarreness right. of as these like as the events are unfolding he is still taking pictures of the food and like just having a ball of a time um yeah right up until so the whole the whole thing with tyler uh whenever he gets sort of like turned around right the uh so we get like taco tuesday we get uh the mess with jeremy right um and when they go to man's folly no they do the chicken thigh next the, the chicken, scissors the chicken thigh was taco tuesday yeah right because oh that's where he tells the story where he stabbed his father in yeah. the thigh and they're serving chicken thighs with fork with the like with forks the, through him because with, he stabbed his no, father with, like, with little, kitchen shears they're like little chef scissors yeah yeah they, they and as right as they say that you see all the uh the other cooks like stabbing each chicken thigh yeah and it's, it's really visceral like it's a pretty gruesome moment um and then they and then they go to man's folly right man's folly is where they say okay yeah we're gonna take a moment now and go outside and they take everybody outside until all the men, you have a 45 second head start. You can, you're no, not... it's because he opens, he brings on one of his, uh, oh, the other workers. sous chef. Yeah. The other sous chef and the he new makes, sous chef. He makes her explain <laughs> that she's like, he came on to me at least twice. He never fired me, but he never talked to me when I rejected his like advances. Yeah, she says chef tried to fuck me. And then three months later, he tried to fuck me again. And then yeah. he didn't look at me for eight months after that. He and would ignore he, me. He's like, okay, here's the dish. And she stabs him in the thigh with kitchen shears. So it's like literally the cycle repeats itself. And of course, he then tees up like this dish is all of the men have 45 second head start. You get to run as far as you can. If you can get off the island, more power to you. My uh, And before he even finishes his sentence, one guy just splits. It's just fucking gone. And I love that Ray Fine's tolerance is so like <laughs> he's his eye roll. He's like <sighs> 45 seconds starts now. <laughs> And as if that wasn't enough, Nicholas Holt's character just stays. And they're like... Yep. He's like, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> He's like, you have to go too. He's like, really? They're like, yes. And he just sat... He like Michael Sarah from Arrested Development sad walks away. Like, he wanted to stay. This whole bit is so full of like... Because you have a couple of them that are like actually trying to run, in, uh, trying to run away. Yeah, they're fucking terrified. A couple of the finance bros. He's like, don't run near me. Don't run near me, dude. He yeah, like tries yeah, to get him like, yeah. go off. Uh, the fucking editor for the food critic, he goes and like has found like the chicken coop to go hide in <laughs> he's chicken. sitting in the chicken coop in the little corner you think he's found like a decent hiding spot but then no the little window in the coop just opens it's like wes anderson like perfectly framed the hand just like reaches in with the little dish just like congratulations for being the last one found you have you get to enjoy a special dish and then like he doesn't take it at first but then they like shake it in front of his face and he's like well all right i guess i'll eat it <laughs> like, it's so good and during that entire thing too nicholas holt is also like so all of the women go inside while uh the men 
men are being chased. Yeah, they get to kind of have like a ladies dish. They have like an intermediate, yeah, like a little uh, appetite or whatever. Wine. Yeah, they're drinking wine and they're eating something, and uh, all the women are trying to reason with the new sous chef, uh, who was the one that just stabbed uh, Ray Fine in the Fine. leg, right? Um, and so the food critic is trying to kind of like play, you know, try to play into her by saying, oh, this dish is really good. You know, I could help you start a restaurant. Um, it just takes the right resources and obviously not everyone not dying tonight. And then, but it's revealed and the, the sous chef is like, oh, actually that was my idea. The yeah. Killing everybody was my plan. And I'm actually really proud of that. <laughs> and then they, she tries to compliment the food and she like, the sous chef is like, there was a time in my life where that would have meant a lot to me. Actually, she starts crying, and it's still part of that social contract thing where they they all try to like console her after that. They're like, oh no, it's actually really good. But they're all like, gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, Nicholas Holt is like in the background. He's like, come to the he's window, like, trying to, try to stare <laughs> through the window and see what they're eating. He's so uh, invested in this. He's, he's fucking yeah. He's trying to get it. Uh, but they round up all the dudes pretty quickly, right? It doesn't take them long. Um, which I love that there's just all these, like, they all try and none of them fucking make it. Yeah, so to, to varying degrees of success, like, the old man was obviously never going to get away. Like, he, <laughs> like... He just, like, plods along. Yeah. And they, they like, there are two chefs standing in front of him and he just, like, turns around and starts walking <laughs> back to the restaurant. He's like, I know my place. Uh, did he get his finger cut off already? Before that, yeah. Before that, right? Uh, I forget yeah. what it is. That As he tries to leave. Thing. That's the first At, like, thing that events. happens. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, I think so. I, I can't remember if that even happened. That might have even happened before the mess. Yeah, I yeah. think it did. I recall I, that being like one of the the first big turns. Right. They cut off his ring finger because yeah, he tries to he tries to leave, and they say yeah, we can take like, do you want to pick left hand or right hand? Do you want us to pick or do you want us to pick? Yeah. And uh, they chop off his ring finger, like notably too, because we learn later that he's like he's uh, cheating on his wife, I guess, right? With potentially Anya Taylor Joy's character. Yeah. yeah so there's a lot of like. There's a lot more about these characters we don't realize. They are a little more interconnected than mm-hmm. we expected. Um, yeah, because we haven't talked about Anya Taylor-Joy yet, but she is also quietly smoldering and, like, killing this performance as well. As so she's like, Here's my question to Cece, and this is kind of, like, thematic, is obviously her character, she's like, you know, I pay, I pay money for this, you should give me food kind of thing. Do you ever feel like uh, like there's some expectations of that in in the music world? Is like, well, we no, we are the customers. You should give us like if it's like pop music or like you know what I mean. There's some kind of transactional oh, like, nature. Like the whole the whole like dance monkey thing. Uh, maybe maybe what is Kinda. that? You know, uh, yeah. I think like yeah. I, also in, in film or music, I think it's the idea of like one for them, right? Like when you're. Um, Right. Or like the Marvel fans getting pissed that they don't get the thing that they want. Yeah. And they're like, no, we are the fans. We're entitled to our fan service. There, this is a new thing of like fans controlling art, like having way more say in stuff than like has ever been true before. Yeah. Do you think there's some of some experiences of that in the music world in some places? Um, I mean, yes and no. So like and I kind of like the ask this question because I, I think Colin Stetson actually and he's spoken about this in in a few interviews. He he has a he has a perspective that I really appreciate um, when it comes to like just like the preciousness of art and the preciousness of music in the current environment. Um, basically, saying that, and and I agree with this wholeheartedly. Like we're in a pretty like transitional phase in terms of media, like um, in that like all of these streaming services like 10 years ago made all these agreements, like not really understanding like where everything was going to go. And then, you know, finding us in this place, what we're in now where 
like music particularly has almost like never been this devalued you know like it's it's never been such a loss to just like to to try and go on tour like i think bands like who was it i think like arctic monkeys somebody big canceled a tour recently because they were like yeah. it's just we're not going to make any money well, that's why, like I mean, some uh, artists are doing residencies too right it's like this is the b- easiest and best possible version is you just come to me yeah no totally and i mean and and things are certainly i'd like to say that they're that they're evolving you know because like on one hand there is this sort of like stratification um in in music and, and artists but also like on the other hand you have you know, this, this argument that, well, it's never been easier to like get your stuff out there. And that, that may be true, but you know, if there's no degree of like, or no, no curation or, 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 you know, reliable method of like sifting through all, not necessarily the bullshit, but the stuff that you don't necessarily vibe with as much then like, you know, what, what is it all for? Um, and so, yeah, I think what that results in is, is a bit of entitlement, you know, and, and people feeling as though, you know, they are, they, they are not the, or they are the patrons, I suppose, like, you know, of, of all these people who, you know, are, are still making music. And, um, when it comes to like film score in particular, you know, like there has been kind of this like homogenized sound that's been created, you know, Mm. in the last 10, 15 years. And that's a talking point that gets brought up a lot with film music in particular. Is it the Sylvestri score? That's kind of like almost, or that's the first thing no, I think I mean, of it, with like I've heard no, people Han, kind of Hans rail is against always the one like, people talk about. I've heard people rail against like temp tracks. They're like temp tracks mm. are a nightmare. Well, temp tracks have always existed. Is the thing right. like you know like Jerry Goldsmith hated temp tracks in you know 1971 because he especially if it was his own music because he's like I don't want to get pigeonholed into doing just the same thing again. You know he's, right. he's one of those composers who was just famous for like constantly iterating like everything. I mean. You know, he does he does Alien, and then he did the fucking Gremlin score. Oh, wow. You know, which is like, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, And I mean, you know, there there have been those composers for that long, but there have also been people, there have also been, you know, the John Williamses, and then before John Williams, there was Eric Korngold and Franz Waxman, you know, who who kind of pioneered that sound that we kind of come to associate with, like, classic Hollywood scores. But, you know, hmm. these days... There is, there's been kind of a, a departure from that. And, you know, like, if I were to think about, like, one of my instructors, what he might say is that, like, well, this score just lacks melody. Like, there's no tune. There's mm. no melody. And while I agree with that, like, I think that there's, there has been this, like, emergent style of scoring that is, that is more textural, yes. Uh, meaning, like, it's, it's kind of, it is kind of more in the background and less meant to be noticed, but it's, but it's playing to a different aspect of the picture, you know, and, and Colin Setson kind of says as much as well about this score in particular is like, you know, somebody asked the question, like, you know, did you write any themes for the characters? Is there a theme for Margot? Is there a theme for, for, you know, the chef? And he's like, no, not really. There's kind of just these, (laughs) these, like, there are these, you know, not in so many words, but he's like, there's these, there's these gestures and, and these instruments and these kind of, um, you know, uh, um, motives that, that sort of just represent what it is that they're feeling in that moment, you know, and and kind of scoring more to mood and scoring more to, um, emotion. And I, I personally find that to be okay. Like I don't take exception to that at all. And I think there are plenty of composers these days that do that 
very, very well. And so like a cue in particular from from the menu that I loved was like the one in which Ray Fiennes makes the cheeseburger oh, for yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. And, and it's like harkening back to this, you know, this period in his life where he was just like the, he was this young gun with all these big dreams and he just worked at this burger joint and it was the best burger in town, you know, and it's just such an emotional, <laughs> it's almost, it's almost comical, like how, how earnest this like, imp- this one cue is in particular. And then of course, right after that is like the magnum opus for the whole score, which is the, the, um, I think it's called Purifying Flame on the soundtrack album. <laughs> cool. It's like that final, yeah, that final score. Oh man dish <laughs> yeah let's talk i want to talk about the ending here in a second uh but there's a couple things that you said that uh that i wanted to talk about the uh for, first of all the idea of like the valuation of music was something that goes all the way back to uh, something dr hart said actually to me uh i remember in like one of our like freshman or sophomore music theory classes about the value of music of the idea in the last century and a half where before the before the turn of the 19th century if you were hearing music it was because there was somebody in the room playing it for you right and it was uh, reserved only for like elites and only for people who could pay to have musicians or pay to have an instrument to be able to perform on um and then as like physical media evolved like music steadily in theory becomes less and less valuable um and there's something interesting about like the idea of uh, how this movie too also kind of like puts fandom of high art also on the cutting board too right where it's like it kind of hits it hits at both ends of this spectrum right where it takes the piss out of annoying like overly uh 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 sort of obsessive fans like the nicholas holt character the youtube essayist yeah exactly exactly those armchair sort of like theorists for any art yeah literally what we're contributing (laughs) to right now um but then also it takes the piss out of the high art too it's like well ray fines is for all things that he is like the basic the whole climax of the movie is about him having lost the art having lost the passion for it and now inflicting his will on these people uh because of of his personal Ooh. things that he's like all wrapped up in mine is um, like the a24 crowd versus the marvel crowd yeah it's like i've, I've been i've been fighting this fight for years is like fuck both of y'all yeah <laughs> triple a24 yep, yeah yeah um but yeah, so the, through the mess, we get like through that whole dish, right, where uh, we see Jeremy uh, go, and then we get the uh, man's folly. Um, is it time for Tyler's bullshit? Is that what it is when that, happen- that, that happens yeah. next? Dude, this whole fucking, so the way they take the piss out of no, the No, they do the tea. Oh, yeah, they There's have the tea. There's tea where they, he asks him about bergamot, and then he's like, all right, fuck this, and they do Tyler's bullshit. Yeah, he's like, because he goes up to Tyler. This is, oh, man, the the end of the Nicholas Holt character just brought me so much. Like, it was just fucking hilarious. Um, I'm so pissed that we didn't go see this with Tyler in theaters. Like, I know. Uh, me and Daniel saw this together, I guess, yeah, with our, with our partners, too. And so we, were, we actually had, like, a fucking awesome theater experience with, I don't know, I was cracking up We were moment. dying in the theater. I'm not uh, sure everyone was, but we <laughs> definitely got the joke. Yeah. Um, so so they take the Nicholas Holt character up and he's, you know, this entire time he's like, he's like going on and on about uh, all the different ingredients for this food. And he wants to impress chef. And they like, want, yes, he's chef. so Sorry, chef. desperate for, for the attention of chef and for his appreciation. Um, and so chef brings him up and he's like, look at you. You're like a, you know, you're so smart. You know everything, don't you? They give him a little chef's coat. He takes out a Sharpie and writes his name <laughs> on the chef coat. And he's like, cook us something. 
since you know everything, go back there and cook us something. And so he's he like, cooked. what do you have? And he's like, we have literally everything. <laughs> what do you need? Uh, leeks. So he yeah. like gets some random vegetables and starts sauteing them in a pan with butter. And just the Ray finds like his quips as he's like doing, he's like, oh, look, I, uh, he's like chopping up the onions. Leeks and onions, yeah. and a culinary revolution he's taking like, place right here, ladies and gentlemen. He's slicing up that shallot and he's like, oh, look, a dicing method with, to which we've previously been ignorant. Uh, <laughs> and just like fucking roasting him. Uh, he like tries to grill up some lamb and he just like fucking panics and says he thinks it's done and they throw up the same recipe card like they have for all the other dish and it just says tyler's bullshit but it's, <laughs> it's like they fucking roast the it's like sli- severely undercooked lamb under inedible vegetables minced, yeah poorly minced shallot <laughs> um, utter lack of cohesion yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, and then he goes up and, and whispers something terrible into his ear, and then so Tyler just walks off. He takes as, off his undo- coat. as he's undoing his tie, and then like later we see that he's hung himself in the back room with his own tie. Like, oh Jesus. my god, dude. Um, but yeah, so the, the relationship between like the main the Ray Fiennes character and Anya Taylor Joy sort of like deepens as they quickly like it becomes very apparent right at the very beginning that uh, she's not supposed to be there, right? Um, the I, Apparently, what we're led to believe is that Nicholas Holt's character uh, originally had a different date. And I originally thought that he, like, was married or was dating somebody and they had just, like, you know, broken up or something. And so that's why right. he had a, a Margot come and sub in. Um, and we learned that she's actually, like, like a sex worker who, like, he's, like, hired to, to go on the date with yeah, him. Yeah, before Tyler dies, he kind of lays the sins of everybody out bare. Yeah. And he especially goes to Tyler and points out, like, you're the only person in this room room besides the staff that knew well in advance he says you've had 10 months to think about this and uh he kind of like because he's because you're watching ray fine and donya taylor joy they have their own interactions aside from everything yeah and he kind of points out he's like i know a service worker when i see one um you're not supposed to be here yeah he takes her into the back office and like basically just interrogates her quickly yeah and kind of like gives her the like gives tells her like all these things but doesn't say he's gonna kill everyone but he looks at Tyler, uh, the character, and says, "Like you know, and then you, and then you changed your mind about who you were going to bring to this at the last minute." And let me guess, you two don't actually know each other, and so it's suggested that he knew they were all going to die, had a guest, changed his mind, and decided it would be easier, and he would have to get a table that he would just pay a prostitute, knowing full well she would die. Mm-hmm. And so it's like he sanctioned her murder by bringing her in the first place. Yeah. And it, then he roasts the guy alive and he goes and kills himself. <laughs> it's like so, it's so brutal. That's that, To a point, though, that's one of the things that they kind of like it, it is sort of it, it's a little on the nose. But hammering home when he takes her into the back office and is interrogating her, he asks her, you know, are they you already a taker know or a giver. Are you a taker or a giver? Do you want to be on our side or on their side? And like they pointedly know that everybody's going to die at that point. He's like, everybody's going to die. I just need to know which which side you want to be on. Because uh, she's kind of been hassling him the whole night too. Yeah. Because she sees through the bullshit. Yeah. She's not impressed by any of this. Uh, whenever that there's that uh, interaction they have when the glass breaks earlier, right? Um, and I think this. It, like I, like we mentioned earlier, this entire thing is filmed uh, like a screenplay. Um, all of the actors talk about how, as they were filming this, they were all in character throughout as they were filming each specific part part of the, the various interactions, right? So in the background, like you see 
all of the different characters continuing on with like their banter and everything. Um, there's a, a scene earlier when, yeah, Nicholas Holt like knocks over a glass cause he's trying to like take her plate cause she's not eating it. Um, and this is when he comes up and they have that interaction where she just is looking dead into his eyes and you see them playing off each other. Like they're the only people that they see that they can like, yeah. they see them each other as like intellectual equals essentially. And you can tell that she sees through the bullshit and is like, is not impressed by it. Um, and ultimately, I think that's what helps her, you know, escape. So he saves her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Later on in the meal, before dessert, uh, he gives her a task to go retrieve a barrel. And that's where we get some more of the exposition for, like, his background. Like you mentioned earlier, Cece, about, like, we see these. Uh, so she goes uh, to the she's, – she's sent to, like, the meat locker, right, to go retrieve a barrel for the dessert. Um, and so while she's away from the dining room, she tries to find other places that she can hide or escape. And she goes into his – his cottage, right, where, where they're told earlier that nobody's allowed in there except for Chef. Uh, and she goes in, and we find out that it's a perfect replication of, like, a model of the dining room. Um, and she goes into the back room where his his bedroom, I guess, his, his living quarters are, and we see a series of photos where it's, it's a series of photos of the chef be garnering success, uh, being praised or winning awards, and he's unhappy in every single one except for the one photo of him at the burger joint where he's cooking. He has like a, you know, a shitty apron on and he has a burger in his hand and it's like a good old flat top and a spatula. Um, and it's the idea that he, he was, he was only happy when he was like actually cooking food for other people, uh, or in a, in a way that was like meaningful and simple. Um, she gets into that fight with Elsa and fucking kills her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Mater D is worth noting too that like, well, like Elsa was supposed to get the barrel, right? Like, right. Uh, like that—that that wasn't a—that wasn't actually staged, you know, of the whole evening being so so scripted. It's just like there was that brief interaction, I think, between Chef and Elsa, where he's like, where she's like, "Sorry, Chef," because she was supposed to grab that, and so he's like, "It's fine. We'll have, you know, we'll have Margot go get it," you know. Yeah, and then she goes and uh, there's almost like the idea of like she she says you're not going to replace me, and that's just, that's what that's what Elsa yeah. says to Margot as before she tries to attack her with a, a bread knife. Uh, in the tussle, Margot comes out on top and survives. Uh, manages she rolls the barrel into the dining room um, like a badass. Yeah, <laughs> Anya Taylor Joy, man, just that she's she's such a good final girl, dude. Like yeah. from you mentioned the witch earlier. Uh, this movie, uh, Queen's Gambit, was fantastic. Uh, in uh, Last Night in Soho was another one, uh, yeah. the right movie that Peaky she's, Blinders. Peaky Blinders. I haven't seen Peaky Blinders yet. Still, oh, I'm still sleeping on that one. Um, yeah, she just has that perfect energy of of no bullshit, and this is ultimately how she escapes. Like she basically, after like getting all that exposition and learning about Chef's background and everything, um, they're about to serve the final meal, and she stands up and says, "I'd like to send the food back. I'm not happy. I haven't eaten a single thing." Uh, and I'm starving. Commits like if, the ultimate sin in this restaurant. Exactly. And you can tell how genuinely wounded Ray Fiennes is. Like, for all of these things happening, he's still, the artist in him is still infuriated and 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 mortified that she hasn't eaten any of the food that he's right. prepared. Um, so she asks, he asks her what she would like to eat. And she says, I want a burger and french fries. Not some fancy burger, nothing auteur. I just want a plain old, straightforward burger and fries. And what is he's like, I'll make you the best damn burger in the world. Exactly. You see his, like, he lights up with that, like, we're talking about like, that glassy-eyed, like, joy. And I think this is where, yeah, this moment is just so perfect. You talked about the, th- the theme for this uh, 
this whole scene in the background, the music that's playing is it's, it is that like Ratatouille moment. It's like, it's one of those scenes where he's, he's taken to a place of pure joy where he's just fucking loving. Like, and the, the aesthetics of it are fantastic too. Like that burger looks amazing. He makes like a good, like smash burger with like, you know, ground beef and stuff. And it, she, he brings it out and she takes one bite and she says, that's the, that's a damn good burger, but I'm afraid my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Can I have it to go? And he, yeah, he's just one moment and he brings her the boxed up burger to and a go gift bag. and a gift bag and everything. <laughs> I also love, so they all get gift bags. Like, like goodie bags. <laughs> throughout this. And he like tells them, and also the idea that they drop checks, right? Yeah. Before the final scene. So let's talk about, yeah, this final scene for a second. What'd you think of the, uh, the s'more sequence? She gets her burger to go and leaves. Yeah. She's the only one who gets out of the restaurant. Yeah. She makes it to the this, ferry and takes I, off. Exactly. Imme- immediately I'm like. I'm like, man, there's just such a... Everybody's got a hard-on for self-immolation these days when it comes to horror. Like, (laughs) five out of the last fucking seven... Like highly praised horror movies end with some big like. You're right. Know, that is yeah. how smile. Ends. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> you're right. It's like such a and and you know what's hilarious too is like in particularly in like in uh, I think Hereditary Midsummer in this movie it's like there's this really um, like romantic score underneath it that I I'm such a sucker for like every time you know and because <laughs> what so, a great moment like so, to score yeah. Yeah, I mean, I this was the this was the part of the movie where I genu- I cried because I was like the the way that the way that um, Ray Fiennes is just like he's he's playing it up so well. This whole evening has just been a crescendo to this moment. They're like he's like talking back to the staff. They're like, "We love you, chef. I love you all." Like I'm like, God, I'm "I love you right too." Now. This is great. Yeah, I love you all. <laughs> yep. Because that's the thing, the, the way uh, he puts it, like, with the s'more thing, right? He, he describes how a s'more is the most, like, grotesque example of, like, food ever. What does he, he calls Processed it, like... Processed crackers a, with... Uh, a gelatinous mass of fat yeah. flavored with raw sugar. Yeah, and, uh, like, imported, like, chocolate. Um, but somehow, through the purification, purifying effects of fire, it becomes one of the best uh, desserts ever made. Uh, and that's what he harps on is the purifying aspect of, of flame. Like the eternal flame is going to purify them all. As uh, he's like giving this speech, they're draping all the remaining guests with like, uh, call it like a poncho. It's made. a marshmallow smock. Uh, yeah, a marshmallow yeah. smock, a chocolate <laughs> hat. And then they're like laying graham cracker trails all along the ground. Uh, yeah, they've completely encircled in like this pattern. It's like evil them. Willy Wonka. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's the other alternate title for this movie. It's just well, I mean, but they're like plating everything like really beautifully too, because I think they have like they've got like the the you know molten chocolate or white chocolate that they're just drizzling all over the floor with like yeah. a you giant <laughs> swash. Yeah, like it's the uh, uh, the the swash right, but like on like you normally see yeah. on a plate, but like all the floor like, across the floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, he stands in the middle of them and lights himself on fire. All of the other cooks crank all of the gas on all of the stoves up to 11 uh, to get the gas going. And meanwhile, Margot has made it to the, the ferry, right? And she's out there trying to start the little boat um, and manages to start it and gets it out into the water. And while she's sitting there eating her hamburger, you just see the whole restaurant explode off in the distance. And it's fucking amazing. My favorite detail of that is as she's eating the burger, because in the, in the little goodie bag, they leave a a paper copy of the menu for the evening. Oh, she wipes her mouth, a a daub of ketchup. She wipes it with the menu and just crumples it up behind her. So good. Uh, yeah. And it's a, that's, it's a fucking amazing movie. Like we said, it's just a tight movie. It's only like a hundred, I think it's 110 minutes long. Um, it's a bizarre movie in that there's like not overt violence for the first 
30, 40 minutes of this whole thing. It takes a second. But in, not in a bad way. No. I like I, I can't recommend people just I like please sit through this. Like it'll get there and it's worth it. and there's no cannibalism. That was the other thing Surprisingly, is Surprisingly, right? The marketing, you kinda think like, oh, they're cannibals. Like they're gonna kill and cook gonna one go. of these guests, but they don't. Because the one thing we didn't talk about is they uh they kill, I guess, the the main investor for the restaurant, right? Who is also the uh like the head of whatever fund that the finance bros work for. Right. Um he, he gets He's the angel investor, so they put angel wings on him, and then like they see him through the window get dipped down into the water outside and drown. Um, when I saw that in the trailer, I thought that there was going to be an element of them dressing up the guests as livestock, essentially, and then treating you know oh. treating them as the course. Yeah, uh, mm. but perhaps disappointingly, there is no cannibalism. I don't know. You know, I don't think it that's needs what bones it. and all's there for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought um, I just thought it was interesting too that he he makes a point that all of the people I say in this when we talked about the movie after is you your your allegiances shift ever so slightly for most of the movie because you don't know enough about each character until like Tyler's just a goofy idiot yeah up until the chef reveals that he knew like it takes three quarters of the movie before you're like what the fuck is wrong with this guy and he's arguably like the worst of them but like none of them could be just because of that he knew that everybody was going to die but right. like when you learn about all of them like none of these people like deserve to die like they're all assholes and right like, um, like the biggest crime the elderly couple commits is that they're regulars and he asks them he's like name one dish that you've eaten here you've come here seven times in the past like year and you you can't remember a single dish that i prepared for you you're the worst kind of like you know you yeah. take all the art out of it but then like the john legazama character his I love crime, this. <laughs> he just made a bad movie and then on chef's day off he went to go see the movie and that he saw this horrible movie that john legazama was in and so that's the reason he has to die and he talks to the assistant no, like yeah that's my favorite <laughs> bit is with her <laughs> just like where'd you go to school brown student loans no sorry you're dying. i'm sorry you're going to die <laughs> so it's bad. it's like an exemplary of his utter contempt for the one percent that's like the joke is to eat the rich it is all of the people there except margo are uh definitely wealthy yeah or like considered like wealthy or syncophantic or just plain idiots. I think the movie succeeds too in that, like people, crit- critic-wise, people ha- seem to be uh, fatiguing with like metaphor, you know, class structure allegories and metaphors in horror movies. Eat the I'm rich. not. I want. I love every single Ready or Not. Like I love every movie like this, and I think there needs to be more of them. But this movie, I think, pointedly does a good job of satisfying that sphere of critics in the sense that Ray Fiennes is, is shown to be unhinged and crazy like the things he's like these people clearly don't deserve to die and it's you know but i think the fact that the movie does end with everybody going up in flames is is to its service my wife even said like that's maybe that's part of the reason they stay in the room so long is that like rich people don't think that it's going to be them like they're like okay well that was like a chef like the sous chef killed himself like you you can't kill me i'm rich is like a reason they might have stayed longer than they should have. There is something about that in the, like he even says that whenever they try to escape, right? Like Margot radios what she thinks is the Coast Guard and it turns out to be a member of the, the, of the, the kitchen, kitchen right? He shows up dressed as a Coast Guard and like fakes out that they're going to, you know, get out of there or whatever. And then when it's revealed that he's a member of the, the kitchen staff, he addresses the whole room again and says, think of how hard you didn't try to get out of you've here. had he's like you've had a very long time yeah. to try to escape and it's like there's a certain level of what he says and maybe and what we sort of witness is like it's also part of that idea of like that social contract that's being on put on display is they there's almost some element of these people kind of saying that they kind of like deserve it 
in a way yeah. where it's like what is being their their status is almost being validated by being a part of this you know murder suicide um and i think that's at least like maybe that's what the movie is trying to do as well um but it's definitely like a uh, adam mckay type thing is to yeah. skewer our like unspoken social contracts yeah. that we have like the way we just take certain things for granted and we're like no look at like how far you could take this just by leaning on like that. They'll never say it. It's too awkward. Yeah. They'll never admit it, but good movie. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is definitely in my top, like my top five of the year. You can tell that they knew what they had when they released it in November. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of a release at this time of the year, is just like, they knew it's going to be a, a, talked about a lot. This movie doesn't take itself too seriously. And it like, it's okay to laugh folks. Yeah. It, all the beats that you laugh at are beats that like the movie wants you to laugh at. And it knows it's absurd and silly and it's, it's awesome. Um, CC, have you watched anything else lately that you enjoyed or hated or any movies or shows? Don't have to be horror specifically. Um, the only other thing, yeah, the only other thing that I think is really in this, in the same class of, of film in particular, is Banshees of Inisherin. I was just oh, thinking about recommending that. Saw a couple weeks Did you ago. watch that already? I, I saw it at the festival. Damn. I want to see that. Actually, no, yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. Very Martin yeah, McDonough. Another, another great, like, co- like, comedic piece. Like, definitely something to go see. Um, it's so brutal. I mean, I imagine they'd be showing it at a Texas theater or something. Um, but, uh, no, yeah, I, as far as TV, I mean, not a ton. I've tried to be, I've, I've been keeping up with, like, the popular stuff. Like, I finally, I did watch Andor because it was just, like, so highly praised, and I did enjoy it. Um, I do think it's like some of the best like Star Wars media I love that this. Disney's put out. <laughs> in um, our in our last recording, we just spent another twenty minutes talking about Andor and how fucking good it was. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. No, I I I waited out for a little bit just because I like I I'm so jaded by like all of the all of like the Disney. Thank yeah. you. Like, I am Marvel the same stuff. way. That's yeah. That's fair. As you should. Yeah, be. but I think it's worth praising. Like I I try to sing the praises of the stuff that I really do think is good. Like in- interestingly enough, and I'm not saying it just because like an, a notable alumni of my program was the composer for it but like hawkeye on disney plus super sweet oh, it's, nice. it's yeah. adorable it's a it's a great like christmas watch um yeah but, we're teed uh, up perfectly no, yeah, to andor watch it was yeah andor is andor is you know it was brutal and it was fun it was real um nick Bratel, i think he's one of my favorite like working people that's like kind of of the younger newer class of of composers coming up um and you know he succession is his biggest credit to date which uh Trav, you're a big succession guy. Actually right? Mark Mylod. Uh, yeah, I'll say Mark Mylod is also a director on Succession. Yeah. I haven't caught up with it. I need to yeah. I've yeah, I'm only through like halfway through season two. I need to watch the rest of that. Yeah, no, and I think season four is coming out in like the spring, maybe. Um so excited, excited for that. I've got a couple things on the the watch list coming up, bones and all. I'm gonna try and go oh, catch yeah. this week. I'm a fan. Um Yeah. That's pretty much cool. it. Cool. Awesome. Oh, well, I did think of a, a final a final horror flick just because i didn't mention it earlier the fifth flick and probably probably the number one because while i said the grudge was the first thing that i saw that i probably shouldn't have seen um gremlins really stuck with me like gremlins was one that like i was so terrified of that movie when like we were growing up did we watch that i still watched i think i think we watched it at like in corpus christi or something with like adam and i think that's the first time we saw that as kids and i remember having a similar experience they had they had like a little maybe I maybe I dreamt this, but I, I could have sworn they had like a little like gizmo. Well, like they, you know, no, Adam like had a Furby baby. growing up and uh I remember there was a Furby at the Aletti's house that came to life in the middle of the night that was like it was fucking haunted. Furbies are evil. Like I I Disaster say this with creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, Gremlins, Gremlins might be coming up here for Solid the holiday wreck. season. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks for calling in uh, with us and uh, yeah. talking about the menu. This is really fun. You uh, you helped us test out this uh, this whole setup for uh, some interviews we have coming up. So this should be exciting. Uh, right on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'll text you. I hope you have a good week. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation on the menu. Yeah. Uh, this is sort of like an extra episode, so you can listen to the main feed for uh, what's previous and what's coming up next on our uh, psychological horror series. Um, but hey, this podcast has an Instagram. It's at Scary Sunday Scaries. It's also got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Scary Sunday Scaries, where for as little as a dollar, you get early access to episodes and can join in on community posts with me and all the other hosts. Um, I'm at Trav the Guy on Instagram. Uh, I'm at DG underscore Pappas. CC, do you want to plug your personal Instagram? Yeah, I am at Christopher C. Wagner on Instagram. There you go. You follow for, for updates on his uh Very, very career. interested. We, I may have to follow up with you, CC, and we'll, we'll, we'll connect. We'll definitely have more, yeah. more, more call-ins and episodes for you to join in on. I've got a session coming up in uh, December here before I come home for Christmas, so I should have some stuff to... Maybe share for you guys at some point here. All right. We'll see. Hell yeah. Hell Looking yeah. forward to it. All right. I'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye. I love you. Bye. Sunday Scaries.